Hello, guys, and welcome back to the Simmons Slayers podcast. It's me, Sterling, joined by Heather, Jastin, and Devin. Tonight, we are talking about the hereditary movie, what we liked, what we didn't like. We would give it as a score. What, you know, would we recommend it and everything like that? So starting off, starting us off with our likes is Jastin. Hey, Cinefans. And um, I just want to start by saying that I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And some of the things that I really enjoyed about it were the visual effects. If there was one big standout thing to me, it was definitely that. Just the way that this was shot, um, especially its use of the dollhouses that the Tony Collette character, Annie, was making and constructing throughout the first half of the movie. Just how those dollhouses would transition into actual live scenes with the characters was great and just the the metaphors that were involved with that the fact that these characters are essentially being played like dolls like people in a dollhouse and they're being controlled by these supernatural forces and led into this certain direction so i thought it was very fitting that they had a character that kind of gave you a visual representation of that so that was definitely one thing that stood out about the film and it also has some great acting performances one standout performance to me was the was millie shapiro who played charlie um she did exceptionally well she was weird she was creepy um and did a great job of playing someone who had something inside of them, had had something that was, you could just tell that there was something more with this character. There was something going on on the inside. And of course it's all revealed later, but she was definitely one of the standout actresses in this. Um, So those are a few of the things that I definitely enjoyed about this film. Yeah, for me, um, I would say also the acting is probably my, my favorite thing about this movie. I think so many of the characters had, um, standout performances, but I would say Tony Collette is the most standout. She had the most, uh, well-rounded character, I would say. Uh, she just, you know, every emotion you can think of, she displayed in her performance and it was really awesome. And also Alex Wolf, who plays the son. Uh, Peter in the movie, I was just really impressed with him. He he's a really solid actor, and I especially um, thought that he did a great job with the car scene, which I know that we'll probably all get into a little bit later. But that um, really just stood out to me for that. And again, like Jason was saying, uh, Millie Shapiro was awesome, and the fact that I think this was her first big time movie role, it's very impressive to see that because she just seemed very seasoned and very professional in her performance so for me that was um that was what stood out and also the visuals were were really well done just like Jason said and also the there's a part in the movie a couple of times where they have just really creepy figures kind of in the shadows that you know you have to kind of focus in to kind of tell what's going on with that or what they are and then when you figure out what they are, you know, it's just really terrifying because you see that, oh, it's, you know, people. <laughs> so for me, that was really well done. And that was a really cool element that they added. So for me, those are the things that stood out most. Okay, where to start? What I liked about Hereditary. Um, I think what you're going to hear a lot of is the performances. Um, everybody stood out, um, whether it was um, Gabriel 
or it was Tony or any of the other actors, I think that they all had strong performances. This is a character driven narrative. So this all hinges on the performances. And luckily for this movie in particular, the performances are so stellar that it just covers up most of the flaws. And sometimes in your film, you need your performances to kind of carry the whole thing. And this movie succeeded in strides. Um, one of my favorite things was just just to see the psychological breakdown of Tony Collette's character was really, really great. Um, she really conveyed this woman who's just trying to keep it together, who's trying to handle grief. I think that's one of the coolest things about this, because this movie deals a lot about grief and how we react to the death of a family member, but not in like the traditional, like, you know, Tyler Perry or whatever movie when a grandmother dies and everybody's like she was an angel and she was the best thing ever and she low she knew how to cook a good meal she's so conflicted because she doesn't feel so sad she wasn't very attached to her mother and she feels guilty that she isn't as sad as most people think you should be after somebody like a mother dies and so I thought that was an interesting and real angle of it because I have felt some disconnect before with certain deaths and things like that. And so that kind of spoke to me very, very highly. So I think that was great. The performances are great. And then if I could show someone technically how to shoot a movie, the cinematography was absolutely phenomenal. There were some scenes like Jas will say that they would start off as focus on these miniatures and these recreations of a scene in Tony Collette's life or that character's life. And then it would slowly zoom in. And then you were in that moment with them. And I thought that was expertly done. And it was, it was so well crafted. Um, I can't speak enough about those aspects of the film. Yeah. I would have to agree with you guys. Like that is what stood out to me. It was, it was the acting. It was the technique in which it was shot. You know, Everything about it was more or less like a master class on how to shoot a movie, like how to establish shots, how to establish tone, how to, you know, how to get the most of the performances that your actors actors are giving you, especially these ones, because, you know, these actors were giving so much to the performances that, you know, the, this the, the director did a really good job of taking those performances and putting that on screen and not diluting it with a lot of stuff. Um, while I don't feel that as a visual way of telling a story, this movie, you know, kept with that. And I'll get onto that more later. It, everything else about the way the movie was made is essentially what really shines. Like it really does a spectacular job of showing you these things with the way it shows you. Like there's, you know, a scene with, uh, after the, the car accident where the way they, they do the camera, like it looking into the mirror, but you're seeing the boy's face and then seeing the back seat. It's an incredibly established shot. And you get those throughout this entire movie. It's just other little things that just kind of draw it back. And we'll get into that next with our dislikes and Justin starting us off with that. Okay. So when I think about this film and what I disliked about it, I think it, um, it first has to be pointed out that this really has been a polarizing movie when I went back and looked at some of the general consensus for this movie. Um, it seems like on the critic side, 
this got a lot of positive reviews. I mean, it seemed it was one of the better critically reviewed films so far this year. One of the highest ones, depending on what site you're looking at, like Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. But I couldn't help but notice that the fan um, reaction to this, the fan consensus to this has been a lot lower than that. And there are even people who just downright hated this film. There were people who didn't like this film at all. So I started thinking about this, and I think that this kind of transitions into one of my dislikes for the film, because I do feel like, um, in more of a macro sense, there was misdirection with this film when it first came out. I don't know about anybody else here, but when I first started hearing buzz about this film, I heard a lot of big compliments about this film, big shoes to fill. Um, I heard a, a quote that it was as scary as The Exorcist. I heard that it was just a nonstop uh, scary thrill ride. I heard that it was just a creepy scare fest from start to finish. And honestly, so when I went into this movie, I went in with this mentality that, man, you know, I'm going to get my socks scared off. But what I really felt like this movie wound up being was more of a psychological thriller, almost like a psychological drama where you're not really, it's not really a few scares every few moments. It's not about the jump scares. It's not about these cliche things that we're used to having in um, typical horror movies. This is a movie where you have to pay attention, where you have to really look for the clues and understand the hitting meanings behind things. And you really have to collect and process all of this information in order for it to make sense by the end. But I feel like because the, of the way that the film was advertised, the way that it was marketed, I came in with completely different expectations than, and what I got was completely different than what I expected. So I feel like that, inconsistency does does have to count as a dislike because i feel like the the movie advertises itself as one thing but then you get something different entirely and if you're not ready for that you won't enjoy this film as much as i think you should so that would be something that i would say is definitely a dislike uh one more thing i have to say about it and i'll make this one quick it's just I feel like there needed to be some exposition with some things like and we already said that there are going to be spoilers on this. So let's just talk about the third act. Um, when it comes to the third act, there are things that I felt like needed more explanation. Like you find out that this whole thing was a ruse. This whole plan was really this big conspiracy by this cult led by the grandmother who had died. And so it would have just been, I felt like there were some things left vague, like who are these cult members? Who, who are these members? Who are these people doing these inner working things? And even though it's kind of revealed that they were all part of this plot, I feel like there was some exposition missing to really put the pieces together, which led to some confusion when it comes to dissecting what happened with this plot. So those would be my two biggest complaints or two biggest dislikes I had about the film. Yeah. And just to kind of go off that, I agree. I think I would say the movie is more definitely a psychological thriller, even a drama. Mostly I feel like is 
is what the movie is more so than just a horror film. So looking at it from that standpoint, I would say, you know, it's very well done as just a drama film, you know, a um, couple of things that were just not, um, not things that I liked or things I did not like about it are um, like you were saying, well, I feel like the third act there, there were issues there. I feel like it, the the story seemed to be cut short in the third act. I feel like there was a lot of, you know, slow build up to all these moments and all these things up until that last part. And then it just kind of everything went haywire kind of situation. And that was kind of an issue for me because there were parts of it that left me a little bit confused. And I guess the best way I would explain it is you know, you don't, you don't come away from it being like, oh, okay, that's what that is. You kind of come out of it being like, wait, what, what did I miss? You know, which brings me to my other thing that I, um, didn't like about it is that, um, you know, given the ending of the movie, you'll miss some key things if you don't know that you need to look for them. So, I mean, there are things that are referenced briefly, you know, about, you know, Piedman and things like that that are very essential parts of this story that, um, you know, you would kind of consider them throwaway scenes unless you know that you need to pay attention to them. And, and I think that's what gives you that, like, like, oh, okay, well, I didn't know I needed to pay as much attention to that part of it because it was such a short scene or it was a very, you know, quick thing and then it was over. So it's, I, I feel like they, they could have maybe, you just don't, know that you need to be looking for certain things to figure out the ending as well. So that was my, those are my two things for me that kind of were my dislikes for the movie. I appreciate everyone's brevity and their dislikes. That's going to give me ample time to fully disclose exactly what I did not like about this film. So all of you who are listening to this podcast and you're like, man, this will be something quick. I can listen to it on the way home. Brother, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but here's where shit gets deep. So, first of all, <laughs> let's just break apart this resurrection slash possession. So, apparently this plot started with the grandmother who, when Tony Collette's character, I need to stop saying Tony Collette's character. What's her character's name? Annie? Annie, and yeah. Annie had, was pregnant with Charlie, okay? So, this is what I've surmised because... The movie is Charlie's the girl for those that haven't seen it. Yeah, so, so um, when Annie was pregnant with Charlie, apparently the grandmother tried to put the spirit of Piedmon into Charlie when she was born through her titty because she was breastfeeding her. Okay, <laughs> here's here's my first problem with this movie. Okay, okay, so. Um, <laughs> When they first started speaking about the grandmother, they were like, she was a little weird, she was a little secret, she was a little private. And then, you know, there's this throw, throwaway line, much like Heather was saying, of she wouldn't even let me feed her. And so you're thinking like, oh, she would, you know, every time she would try to give her a bottle, you know, the grandmother would feed her instead. Like, you know, you're going to let too much air in that bottle. Don't do that. You're going to give her, going to give her reflux. And then it's going through the one of the scenes where it shows little figurines and the grandmother is standing over the bed with this huge engorged titty 
about to breastfeed the baby. And I'm like, that is not some regular shit to be going on right now. Not to mention, this woman is married who has a husband who appears to be very involved with the kids and never once was like, hey, I'm sorry, but your mother cannot breastfeed our child. Also, your mother's like 85 years old. How come she's still producing breast milk? That's fucking weird. There's something <laughs> wrong here. But apparently in this family, 85-year-old lactation and breastfeeding of a, a grandchild is just a Tuesday night. So whatever. So anyway, so um, in the film, it says that Piedmon prefers a male body. So I guess when she tried to put Piedmon inside of Charlie, it messed Charlie up. Because the only thing Charlie likes to do is cut the heads out of fucking birds and put them on Eminem's minis bottles and eat chocolate candy and go. That's pretty much all she likes to do. Okay, that's what and, and draw. Sorry, she also draws. So he's got four things Charlie likes to do. And I guess that's because Piedmon is like, hey, I don't like, you know, the girl parts. Don't do that to me. So this cult hatches a plan. And here is this plan. Just you got to say it out loud so you can understand how absolutely ridiculous and how much circumstance and happenstance. And even if you're using magic, even if magic is involved, it's still a stretch because Dr. Strange probably couldn't make this shit happen. But it, I digress. Let me get into this. Okay. So their plan was to get Charlie to go to a party with Peter where a girl that Peter liked would be at the party so that Peter would be distracted so that Charlie could eat a cake laced with nuts because she has a peanut allergy. Then Charlie going through an allergic reaction, which the main system is asphyxiation, goes to get Peter out of the room while he's smoking weed. He puts her in the car to race home, and then she is to get decapitated by a telephone pole during that time. That's the plan to get Piedmon out of her body. <laughs> it's pretty elaborate, yeah. And there's a lot of variables in that. And that shit is not succinct. And it's, it's just it's just so holy. And I just was like, that is a lot. That's a lot to orchestrate. Even if you are imbued with the powers of Satan. It, it's going to take some work <laughs> to, to make that happen. And it just kind of drove me a little nuts, man. It's these little story elements that I just don't get with. And what Jason said is completely right. If you were going into this movie thinking of seeing something like The Exorcist, you are 100% wrong. Listen, if you took out all of the horror elements, it could be an episode of This Is Us on ABC, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, if you took out all the horror elements, it totally could be there. Now, the third act is scary. It's, it's very disturbing. But if you activate that logic center in your head... You're just going to go wait. And then also the opening scene at the grandmother's funeral, they were trying to play like, ooh, are these people going crazy or is this really the paranormal? Listen, there's a blonde guy. If you haven't seen it, 
you you'll know when you see him. And if you have seen it, you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. And he's just sitting up there smiling at her like black hole son, smiling at Charlie while she's looking at her dead grandma. You knew that was straight evil right there. That is like a corpse rapist smile. That was like one of the creepiest faces ever made. That's like the face Emperor Palpatine makes when he's masturbating. It's it's, (laughs) (laughs) so so I knew that this was all evil. And then, and so, I don't know, I I just, there are just things in the third act that I, I just can't, I just can't let it go. I mean, when they try to burn the book and first it's burning Annie and then it switches and the husband bursts into flames, which they ruined in the trailer because they showed him burning and all that stuff like that. Um, those things really just annoyed me. And there's a lot of disturbing stuff happening. Yes, you know, especially, you know, self-decapitation. But, you know, I was just like, but why? Why is all of this happening? I don't understand. And and I'm okay with ambiguity. I really, really am. But they set this up like this was going to be some type of mystery to unsol- to to be solved by the end. And I, they just want it to be a mystery because unless you're an expert in the occult and you don't know all eight lords of hell, of all the circles of hell, then you're going to be a little lost wraps <laughs> up. And that's why... I have to deduct a few points from this movie um, because without those solid performances, this movie would be a mess. Well, Jasper, Devin thought that his little segment was going to be long, and well, now we're on to mine. So we're going to start my <laughs> segment with a quiz. And the reason why we're having a quiz is because Justin put on Facebook, you know, like, oh, hey, what are people's thoughts on Hereditary? And him and this other guy, I want to say his name was Kevin. Correct me if I'm wrong, Justin. Yeah, I believe it was Kevin. Uh, we're talking about this movie and they were talking about how it requires like multiple rewatches and things like that to, you know, kind of get the gist of what's going on with some of the stuff. And that's that's fine and all. Uh, I think it's a bad thing when your movie hinges on needing multiple watches to actually just understand the fucking basic narrative of the plot. Uh, I'm fine with it having little things that you miss the first time around. And then when you go back and watch it, you're like, Oh God, if I just, you know, realized that like, it would have been like, Oh, that's different. Kind of like what the sixth sense did. Like when you watch the sixth sense the first time, you're like, Oh fuck. Oh, it got me. And then you go back and you watch it again. You're like, Oh no, there are all these little things here and there that it, it does to show what's actually going on now i'm good like i said i'm gonna start with this with the quiz since jason has seen this more than once and you know heather and devin i want your answers too uh we're just gonna go based on some of these things to kind of see what was understood about the plot because i went and read an interview with the writer director so i know these answers so we're gonna see uh what was gathered from this so Real quick, this is probably the easiest of the questions. What was the profession of the husband? What was the oh, profession of the husband? Yes, it's actually a vital point. Isn't he like story. a lawyer or something? No. Okay. Archaeologist? No. It's it's supposed to be a big point to his character's motivations in the movie. That you're supposed to like gather why he behaved the way he did because of this. Psychologist. Devin got it. He is a psychologist. Now, he's a psychologist. 
And to touch base with what Devin said earlier, why the fuck would he let the the grandmother breastfeed the baby then as a psychologist? Makes <laughs> no damn sense. Yeah. Like a lot of that story element doesn't make sense with the way that like the whole grief is happening in the house and everything like that. Why is he not taking a more active role in it? He's a psychologist. That's his wheelhouse. And this family's falling apart around him. And his just whole thing is just to be like, meh, whatever. That's an interesting point. I mean, I guess just to play devil's advocate here, um, I guess the one thing you could say is that when she was talking about the characteristics of um, her mother, the uh, Annie, the Tony Collette character, was talking about her mother, she did say that she was very manipulative and that she could just, she had ways of just encasing you into her little world and convincing you of things that maybe weren't there, um, that, that maybe weren't necessarily true. She was very private. She kind of had these eccentric characteristics about her. So who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe that situation, she was able to somehow manipulate that situation. And since we know later that she's this, basically she's this queen, this cult leader that's destined to bring Piedmont back, um, to get Piedmont the proper vessel that he needs. Um, which is who we know is, um, winds up being Peter, perhaps, um, Piedmont was also helping with those manipulations. They needed somebody, um, at the beginning of the movie. So my theory is, is that Piedmont was actually, his presence was actually in the little girl, um, Charlie. He was, he was that, he was in her. That explains her weird actions and all of that stuff. And if the grand and the grandmother needed that relationship so that she could do the rituals or whatever. And I think that that's where a lot of that manipulation and stuff came from. So who knows how much the, the psychologist dad was a part of that or in that. And he was kind of passive throughout the movie, you know, like at the dinner table scene, he didn't want to let them express and handle the situation. He was kind of like, whoa, let's just stop. Just stop. Let's just stop talking about this. So I don't know. There were times where he was passive and he was kind of a skeptic and he kind of didn't, you know, I, it, it felt like he kind of had some passive personality traits about him. So I could totally see him maybe going, well, that's weird. And then maybe having a discussion or him having a discussion with the grandmother and her being able to sway him with her manipulative demonic ways. I don't know. That's not beyond the realm of imagination, in my opinion. Well, see, I, I get I get what you're saying with the like the dinner scene part of it, because like part of that was also out of character just due to the sheer fact that like when people are grieving and like they get to the certain steps that like they got to. And while they were saying terrible things to each other, it still kind of can be an expressive part of grief. Like it wouldn't make sense to cut that off because while they might be saying terrible things, it might just be that they need to say them and get it out of their system to then help them move on. So like that part didn't make sense to me about it. But then also like with what you're saying with the rest of it, with like how manipulative was and all this other stuff that to me also then goes to the fact that it's just, the excuse that this movie uses for a lot of the bad choices it makes of it just being, 
no, oh, it's magic. A, yeah. Like magic it's, it's is magic a accepted. It. You know, it's magic. And, exactly. And and, and, mm-hmm. here, and here's another thing on the psychologist. Thing. Well, there's nothing. I don't think there was anything magical about her being. Well, you just you just though. said you. It was, she's just. You said she had demonic oh, powers. Hold on a second, it, I got this. You just said that it is in the realm of possibility that Paimon enhanced her deceptive and manipulative capabilities. That is something that you use as a justification. That's something that you said. We are responding to something that you proposed. So we were responding kind. That's not exactly you, you, what you I said. said it's in the realm of responsi- you said it's in, in the realm of possibility that she had some type of enhanced ability to manipulate and talk and make him passive or use him passive passiveness against him, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, especially being that okay. she was a cult okay, leader, thank you. which now, is a real thing. There was no magic okay. to that. She was well, a cult she was the cult okay. leader. She was Okay, the now let's let's pause on that. Now, the next thing that I want to say is I can just take his psychology thing. I don't need demonic possession. There's plenty, plenty of people who are great at work and do a good job, and then their home lives are just shit. So that's fine. That's cool. They, I can explain that away. What I can't explain is yeah, that was my next point. What what I what anyway. I cannot explain though is how uh, eighty. Once again, I will say this again: and woman in her eighties with a super engorged. I mean. The size of that titty was novelty size on that mirror. And she made some <laughs> accurate figures, okay? They were accurate that this elderly woman is breastfeeding your newborn child. I don't care how passive you are. If you're that passive, then you probably shouldn't be a parent. That's a stretch to the imagination, man. He did, when things start to get out of control, he did make a stand. He did say, you know what, this is enough of this. He did it at the dinner table. He did it when she lashed out at her son. I can't remember what it was, but he was like, hey, man, we I'm trying to just, listen, we only got one kid left. I don't need you working on making sure there's no kids. He stood up to Tony Collette's character. When they were doing the se- seance, he stood up to her. When he thought something was straight up bullshit, he stood up to her. That's why he ended up getting set on fire. Remember that? Because he refused to throw the book in the fire. You guys remember that? So he did stand up to her and he straight up called her crazy. So this man does have some type of logic center in his brain. And something tells me that um, grandma breast milk would have made him go, hey, how about no? <laughs> okay all right okay what's the next question i mean maybe but i mean but there were other characteristics there were other times where he was passive though so it's hard to say like for instance when the grave like like when the grave was desecrated and he was like uh i'm not gonna tell anybody or i'm not gonna tell her now because i don't know i just don't think it's a good time so there were times man where he kind of withheld information or he kind of was like or he kind of was like man you know i just don't think i should deal with this right now you know he was kind of a deal with it later type of person so who knows i mean so he it there was happened. an explanation why he did that 
you seen the movie twice. What was his explanation for not telling her about the desecration? Well, he said with everything going on, this would it's not be she a thought good he time was having a to... nervous breakdown. So he didn't want to burden yeah. her with that. So that's not passive. That's not passive at all. That's him trying to do some damage control and go, hey, we'll worry about this later. That's that's a very just that's a very calculated and logical and, decision. And that's do you not know how passive. long breastfeeding goes on for a child? Well, he didn't bring it up though here. until he was until he was angry though. It wasn't until he was angry and they were having this heated moment that he even brought that up. You know what I mean? So I just like I said. So to one person, why did, why wasn't it ever brought up until there was this moment of anger? There was this heated moment between them. Was that the right time? So just how one person could say it was a calculated move. One person could say, nah, he, maybe he should have brought that up. Maybe he should have been more direct. Maybe he shouldn't have let things go till later. So I'm just saying he displayed both characteristics, man. And, and I'm glad that you brought up the point that he was a psychologist because if anybody knows anything about the actor, um, Gabriel Byrne, he played a psychologist in the HBO series yep. In Treatment where there was where there was very much where he was very much a character like this where his personal life wasn't together and his relationship with his kids wasn't what it need with his kid wasn't what it needed to be and stuff like that but yet he was trying to hold together and be this professional psychologist but was passive about some things happening in his own home so i think it's no coincidence that he was chosen and selected for this role because there are a lot of parallels to that character and this character that hey, he played. In, in, in treatment, was there ever, was <laughs> one of his kids ever like breastfed by an elderly woman or anything? Over a year or however long <laughs> they breastfed for? Would that ever happen? <laughs> Do you think that character in treatment would have been like, oh, well, this is another thing I ought to just pass on and let it run its course? I just, I just, you know, if I can just chime in, a, a child breastfeeds. I mean, I have two kids, and they both breastfed. I don't think you guys really understand the amount of they in the movie. They said the grandmother would not allow her to feed her child. Babies eat a lot. I mean, ten times a day. In the middle of the night, they wake up hungry and breastfeed. I mean, just. Just go and Google average amount of times a baby breastfeeds in a day, a newborn baby, and you'll see how preposterous this is. I don't, I don't that's well, maybe, that's well, maybe so, but you're not also, but I also said that remember, Piedmont's presence was in this child, and we don't know when his presence was put in the child. Remember, there were other clues given to you, like she's saying that the child never cried. When yeah. she was a baby and stuff like that, so there there were subtle clues that that demonic presence was probably in that child and probably being nursed by her because she was the queen, she was the cult leader. So who's to say that anything was normal about this baby, or maybe there were some abnormalities, or maybe they were able to hide those things because you had a demonic presence in that child. And I'm thinking it happened very young, especially just with 
Tony Collette giving us those clues like the baby never crying or anything when she was I'm, I'm not I'm not debating was, I'm not um I'm not really debating whether Paimon like was in the so, girl. I already said that that's my theory that somewhere either in birth or directly after birth somehow Piedmont got into her. Don't know how. I'm going through the breast milk. Sorry, Heather, I cut you off. Yes, add, please. Uh, I was just going to say with um, the the dad being the psychologist, I don't feel like he was, you know, just passive about it because there was also that scene where, you know, he's trying to get on to his son's case about like, oh, make sure you apply for this, you know, and he's like, you know, you really need to get that done. And so I don't think he like his character in general didn't seem passive so much as just it seemed like he was just trying almost like trying not to be Mr. Psychologist in his own home because they probably get that from him all the time. But Psych 101, Therapy 101, you learn like in situations like grief and loss and things like that. You need to be there a lot more than he was in this movie, in a sense, like just available, I guess, because he did seem very unavailable at some points, but not because he didn't want to be there. He just, he was very, um, like, for instance, the scene where, <laughs> where Annie's building the dollhouse and then she makes the character of the, you know, the car in the wreck and then the daughter with her head, you know, in the dollhouse. And his reaction to it was obviously he was really worried about her. And he was like, why would you show this like on this thing so that our son could see this? You know, that was a normal reaction. But at the same time, like to let it get to that point or to even not really do anything beyond just telling her, like, don't let our son see this. To me, I feel like as a psychologist, you really should have done a lot more than that. Even just been like, hey, talk to me. Tell me what you're going through. I do think his like not being Mr. Psychologist, it was a little bit off. I do agree with that because it's kind of, you feel like it's almost a natural thing when that's what your job is, is to be available like that, especially when the people closest to you are going through grief. So I do feel like his character was a little off in how he handled some things, but I think that he was kind of like, um, just human, (laughs) you know, like maybe he didn't know what to do with it or maybe he felt like, oh, I need to just let her feel what she feels right now and not try to talk to her about it yet. You know, maybe he was doing that approach, but I do agree. It was a little bit more off than what I, than what I would have expected from a psychologist. So it is interesting to bring up the point that that's what he was because I honestly, you know, even if that was mentioned, it's not something that was in the forefront of my mind just because of his actions. I mean, and and let's admit he was in a tough spot. You know, every, you know, that, that kid had died and this family had a history of tragedy of tragic deaths and stuff. And the grandmother, you know, like her brother who hung himself when she tried to put Piedmont in the, in her brother and the brother hung himself saying the grandmother tried to put people inside me. So that example of a failed attempt of her trying to put that demonic spirit inside of him. So, like, there were all these little tragic things that happened to this family. And the father, her, Tony Collette's father, starved himself. So you got to put yourself in the situation of this psychologist, this psychologist, man. This family, his wife is going through, has gone through all of these things. So, yes, there was a tendency 
I'm not saying that he was just passive for no reason. He had his reasons and there were plenty of them. He was trying to give them space. Sometimes he, and I just don't think he knew exactly how to deal with it, but he was trying to do what he could. He would talk to him a little bit, see what kind of reaction he got. And if he got a, an aggressive reaction, he was just kind of like, oh, okay, I'll leave it alone. Or if he got a, hey, you need to, you need to sign up for that stuff, man. You need to get those classes. Okay, dad, I will. And he was like, okay, well, let me give him some time to, you know what I mean? He was trying, but at the same time, I think it was that delicate balance of, do I give him space or do I not? Do I just talk about, I'll just bring it up later. Or do I do this another time or do I approach it now? And that's a repeated behavior that he has. So, you know, it's totally there. And granted, this is this is a lot of assumption too about his character because they don't actually give you a whole lot to go off of with that. So it is a lot of assumptions about what he was feeling and everything. But um, I think that's kind of a lot of the parts of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, tons yeah. of assumptions. That's that's we'll what see. I wanted to get through. That was a lot of assuming. Most of that well, is whatever. What's the next question? No, no, but like going back to that real quick, that's the reason why I brought this up is because the director, the writer director of this movie maintains that him being a psychologist is a major point to that character. And I don't feel like that's portrayed in the movie. And that's one reason why I brought it up. Cause I, like I said, I read what the director said about a lot of this stuff. And to me, that was a big flaw in the movie is if that is a main point to that character, it's not actually portrayed in the film, which is a big flaw. All right, so question two, and you've you guys have already kind of touched on this, but we're gonna get your answers anyway. So with with Paimon with uh, Paimon and Charlie, when do you think their interactions as the demon and vessel type of situation started? Because I know the exact answer of it. Um, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna say it was while Charlie was in the room. I figured that she tried like older subjects, and it just didn't really work out. So she went, all right, how about a, a fetus? So I'm going to go, I'm going to say fetus, fetus demon. Justin? I mean, it's really hard to say when, because the film doesn't really give you that per, per se. The only clue that I distinctly remember was when Tony Collette says she never cried as a baby. That to me was the biggest clue that something was up then when this child was a baby, that something was up then. There had to be a reason why the baby was never crying, why the grandmother paid so much attention to her and stuff like that. So it had to have happened during that time. So I don't know about womb or feet. I'm not sure, but it had to be when the child was born, at least after the child was born and the grandmother could have some kind of contact to do some sort of rituals. Well, with she had a lot of contacts and she was breastfeeding her. So, well, of course, of course, but that wasn't what happened. It was just, but that's part you of it. Know what happened because they don't explain it. So, and Heather, when do you think Pyman and Charlie started being a thing? <laughs> um, it's honestly like it's not something that I would have said. Like this is an exact moment either. I don't think that I would say I know the answer to that. I would guess, obviously, when she was younger is what I would say, just because of like Jason was saying, her behavior throughout her whole life was that. So I would have said because the grandmother was spending so much time with her after she was born, that somewhere in that time frame is when she became 
you know, Piedman vessel, whatever. But it's, it is a good question because I honestly, I, I do think that's a good point. The movie, it, for me, I don't feel like the movie fully um, explains. So I couldn't say I fully know. All right. Well, I kind of feel bad for you guys because it was slightly a trick question. The closest answer to that was Devin's. But the actual answer is that there really is no Charlie. It is Pyman the entire time. There is no actual Charlie. It is Pyman. So it wasn't that Charlie was born. It was Pyman that was born. So hmm. with that question and like with that re- like okay. revelation with everything. My issue with that is, though, is they make a big, big fucking point in this movie to be like, oh, Pyman prefers male hosts and all this other stuff. So why would you even attempt in a female? Like, if that's your whole game plan, because like I said, it is very vague with the whole Charlie Pyman thing. And, you know, based on what Devin or what Justin was saying earlier with the whole like, oh, well, they kind of give hints that it was when, you know, you know, that she was different as a baby and stuff like that. If the actual thing that you're supposed to get is that it there is no Charlie, it is Pyman, that's a very flawed thing. Like I don't feel like the movie actually does enough for that to be what is the actual part of the story. Like to say that that is the actual story, it doesn't do that. It doesn't really seem to make sense like if that's what they say, then obviously that's what it is, but just especially because even <laughs> Even as if that was Piedman the whole time, like still acted like a little girl, you know, still had these things where she was like, I mean, why wouldn't she have stopped herself from, you know, um, getting allergic to the cake and whatever, you know, like so many things about that. I feel like don't really make sense, but that's, I don't know. I don't know. Well, if you ask me, there were some you 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 asked so many questions, so I can't remember every question you said, Sterling. But one some of the things, but as you were talking, I was trying to think of the film and some of the clues that it gave. Well, I know we know for a fact though from the film. Remember when um, Charlie is talking, or I guess in this case, Piedmont is talking to the mother, and she says. Um, when she was like, grandmother always thought that I was, she thought that I was a boy for the longest time. And remember when we saw that, um, those, uh, floor mats that were made, one of them was Charles and that was supposed to be Charlie's, but she had sewed it as Charles. So that was a mistake. She thought that she was implanting him in a child. So that so Devin's theory makes more sense when you think about it that way. If she thought it was a boy that her daughter was having, then that's why she attempted that because she tried it with um her son and that didn't work. The son committed suicide. The father had starved himself. So those were failed attempts to put Piedmont in a male vessel. So when Colette's character was having this child. She thought it was a boy, remember? So that explains why Podmon was there. She thought she was putting it in a boy. She was just trying to get him in something. Then whenever, of course, Charlie grows up a little bit and it's a woman, well, Podmon doesn't want to be there. And thus we have this whole conspiracy 
or this plan to get him into a male vessel, which is Peter. That's who he wanted to be in. So knowing that tidbit of information, everything makes well, not everything makes sense, but it will make sense of like, I don't know if maybe the human survival instinct, you know, that's something, you know, maybe Piedmont had to deal with. And that's why she had some of her own characteristics a little bit because uh, it is a human body and a human body has a brain and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe that's one reason. But even the, the stick in the head out of the window to get decapitated, that makes more sense now because th that was probably Piedmont like opportunity. Yes, I can die right here and I can get out of this girl's body. And yeah, just to wrap his brother. So that makes some sense for her to go and for her to go and eat that cake, even though she's allergic to nuts. Um, you know, all those things like that, all that makes a lot more sense to me because the way the movie is constructed, though, it makes it to me, makes it seems like the organization itself had set this up. The cult itself had set this yes. stuff up. You know what I'm saying? And so yes. and now that I know it's Piedmont directly doing it himself, that's something I can accept a little bit more. But when it was just like, oh, this is just a group of people chanting and lighting candles and not wearing clothes most of the time and, you know, breastfeeding babies. Um, so <laughs> I just can't. I just, I, I'm sorry. Man. <laughs> you're not going to, you're just not no, going to let them, you're not going to forgive I'm that, not, are you? <laughs> I'm not going to forgive this. Listen, man, Jess, you, you don't have kids. If you ever have children, anybody who is listening to this, ask anybody who breastfed their kid. Ask anybody and go, an uh, 80 year old woman was breastfeeding your kid on a regular. Would you have some objections, even if that was your mother in law? They would go, man, hell yeah, I'd have some damn objections. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. I'll concede with you on that. But but I like what you said, though. But do you see how now this kind of makes a little more sense? Like you said, Piedmont basically kills that vessel. He kills Charlie. That's his female vessel. But now he needs a way back into the house. And that's where Joan, who's a fellow cult member, who the one who befriends Tony Collette at the at everything like that, who befriends Tony Collette at the um, at the uh, at the not. grief counseling, yeah, the grief group meetings and stuff like that. That's what her role was. I got now he's got to get his presence back into the house because he's killed the Charlie vessel. Now yep. it's time to get to Peter, which is why they needed the seance. And so the sole point of the seance was to get his presence back into the house. Then that's when he then once he's back into the house, he could systematically had access to everybody. So he systematically starts taking everybody out. That's why our psychologist got burned. That's why Tony Collette cuts off her own head. And then once he got rid of everybody he needed to, he finally entered into Peter and you have the end of the movie in a nutshell. And, and even in the book, it says that what he does is he's going to take over the weakest male member. And so, you know, him killing Charlie um, and then also just the torment that was going on at school compounded with the regular grief punk compounded. I think the uh, the seance was a targeting mechanism for him because 
Because we know that Pygmon can't see very well, and he kind of goes where he's directed. That's how he ended up in Charlie in the first place. So we know he yes. can't really distinguish people. So I think the seance is more of a targeting type of thing. So that's why Joan was like, make sure every member of your house is in the doing the seance with you. Make sure that, mm-hmm. that that's him doing it. So she was very, very, very clear in that to make sure it was every member of, of the family in there. And I think that was a targeting so Piedmont could go, oh, the psychologist, he's strong in mind. He's not going to take this bullshit anymore. I don't want him. This kid um, has been crying for the past several months. How about how about that guy? That sounds good to yeah. me. Well, yeah. The reason why no, the reason why I brought that part up though, and I'm glad you touched on it. A, a couple of things here. I get we like like I said earlier when I read these things, this interview, it made some stuff make more sense. But my problem with it is is the fact that when you watch this movie, you don't actually get that narratively in the movie itself. Because also one problem with what you guys were saying is that you're saying that like Paimon needs to be directed towards something. Well, at the time when Charlie was would have been in the womb or something like that, if I'm remembering correctly, in the movie, the grandmother still wasn't in the house. So how would the grandmother be targeting that towards the Charlie baby in the womb? Also, if it is going, if it's going to seek out the weakest male, when you're doing all that, her brother would have only been three or four at the time. So a three or four year old child is still going to be the weakest male in that house. And that would still make more sense for them to then target him in that scenario. Well, no, with all he that. was older, four because, years older than her. I mean, he was obvious a junior or a senior in high school. Charlie, even if you look at developmentally, was, you know, at least nine, ten years younger than him or no. eight to ten, eight to ten years younger. No, they had them going to the same school at one point. They were getting dropped off at the same school. But that doesn't matter. It could be one of those schools that is K through 12. That doesn't mean anything. I know many. But she uh, went to that high school party at the house, though, right? But Well, yeah, but I mean, that's just because he was going. I mean, but I, but I, my I, issue is what I'm saying. But either, old, he's, he, he's like seven. But either way, you are, are, well, no, if he's 17 in that movie, she's not like 10. She's older than 10. I want to say they said she was 12 in that movie. They said she died at 13. That's what she told the lady at the group. Okay. Yeah, so that would that would be a four-year difference. Five year. Well, if well, I'm just saying if he if he's a junior in high school, so that yeah, means okay. he's 16 or 17. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, I got you. That's what I'm saying, is that would still be a weak-minded male that you know is a male. Because that's what I'm saying is like that would how is the grandmother targeting this baby? Whenever the, whenever Tony Collette's character Annie says she, that the, they have nothing to do with the mother at the time, so that still doesn't line up with that. Also, with the story of Pyman, because they were he was really talking about how he's really you know into the lore with it and everything. The problem with it is also is Pyman requires a sacrifice to be brought into this world, which makes sense with the way the movie ends, but it does not make sense with how they summoned him into Charlie. Hmm. Well, what about the what about her brother? What about Tony Collette's brother who killed himself because the grandmother was trying to put people inside of him or whatever? Couldn't that have been the oh, sacrifice? What about, what about the father who starved himself? Yeah. So there are people there that died. 
Yes, they died, but did they die when she was born? I don't know. Who knows? That's what I'm saying. Did, did, but no, because it says in the, she says in the thing, it's not at the same time when she's when she's going all like through, with the grief counselor and all that other stuff. She's not saying that like, oh, my father died and my brother died and my daughter was born all in the same month. Yeah, but obviously that demonic presence was there, Sterling, because she was trying to get that's him into somebody. Thing. That's so, that, okay. I get that, but that's saying that's saying that the sacrifice is there that he's already summoned. That's my problem because, like I said, they were talking about how it's really big and specific into the lore. Pyman requires a sacrifice to be summoned. It's not to then kind of in generally be in the area and is kind of just a guest at somebody's house. Like for him to to take a host vessel, there has to be a sacrifice with it taking place. That's what they do at the end of the movie. That's the reason why the mom chops her own head off in the movie. That's the sacrifice required for Pyman to take over Peter. That's directly what the director said. Unless it was like, um, you know, Pyman was born, Charlie was born as Pyman, but Charlie, essentially, who would have been Charlie, died as a sacrifice for Pyman to be Charlie. Okay, but that's like still- in the womb. You know, but that's still saying that the grandmother is having that effect on it. Well, I, I, I can't my frame of the grandmother coming back into the life to their life. So I don't know. I just I can't I can't remember what they said. And you've seen it. When did they say? Because she goes and she's like, and then we, we just stopped talking for years. And then she's saying, and then she was back in. And I left. Do you remember that part? Right, Justin? When did she say? Yeah, I'm trying to pinpoint exactly what she said because yeah, she the the grandmother they were estranged, and then I don't know if she said when I was pregnant with Charlie, she came back into the house. I'm trying to remember what the exact line was. Man, I may have to look it up, but I want to say that when she said, but I know for a fact she said basically that. My mom didn't show an interest until I was pregnant. Yeah, I know yes. that that was said. Yeah, she said. I know for sure that was said. So the time frame had to be around that time because she failed to get Paimon into the her brother Tony Collette's brother Annie's brother. So she was like, "Man, you know, here's my opportunity." So I, I don't know. I feel like so I'm gonna say it had to be around that time she was pregnant. It had to be before Charlie was born. And that kind of makes sense what Heather's saying, though. If and See, like, that's the point, though. Like, my point with all this really is, is the fact that this movie is so fucking vague with this shit that it doesn't come across clearly. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you like, Even, even, even yeah. once learning, like, that's, that's honestly, that's my whole point with this whole quiz, is it's not actually to debate any of that aspect of it. Like, it really is just to, like, to point out that we've all seen this movie, Justin's seen it twice, and narratively, it's still vague. Well, for that point, yes. Yes, for that, for that plot point, yes. Well, yeah, but, that's, yeah. but a lot of that is, like, a lot of that is very important to the story, though. You know what I mean? Like, Pyman being in Charlie, or, you know, like, the, profe- like the, the husband being a, uh, a, a psychologist. Like, like the director says that that's, those are very important part, parts to the story. And the movie does not portray that well. Like, that's like my ultimate like point in all this, like I said, was to just say that these big plot elements that the director and writer of this movie says are important aren't conveyed. 
like at least clearly in the movie. Now it might be one of those things where like, you know, apparently this movie does where if you see it for the seventh time, there's like, you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. I see it now. Like, and that's a problem though, because narratively you should at least understand the story the first time through. And you should maybe pick up other things later because I feel like this movie that you guys have called a thriller multiple times doesn't actually succeed as a thriller because a thriller gives you a legitimate chance of figuring out the ending. Maybe not every specific detail, but it gives you a chance to figure out this, this ending. And this movie doesn't do that. Well, in, in, in your opinion, it doesn't, but I feel like it does drop enough clues, Sterling. There's clues throughout the entire no, film. There is no that, way in hell that you watch this movie one time and you go, oh, Pyman was Charlie her, like her entire life. He killed himself so that he could do this to get into the brother, and that's the ending. And the, the fact that it's it's Pyman, it's still an obscure version of sat- like Satanism. You're getting a, 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 a king of hell, which he's technically a third king, if I'm remembering correctly. And that's the narrative story behind it. There's no real connecting to an actual like belief system directly that people are knowledgeable about. Yeah. Hey, Sterling, I want to say that I, I have to agree with what Sterling said there. I do feel like you have to have some type of background in occult or satanic rituals to really get the full effect of this. I'm pretty sure if somebody studied that like religious sect or something, they'd be like, Oh, this is genius. This is, this is great. But I mean, I really do feel like I needed like a Necronomicon to get everything that this movie is trying to tell me. Like <laughs> sometimes, yeah. And, I, and, and we're and, and man, we're not amateur film gores here, man. I mean, we we've seen thousands of movies and thousands of plot twists and 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 little bitty things and things like that. And I just don't think they articulated some things as well. Um, you know, I, I had to think about the whole Charlie thing for a while. And I was like, you know what? I think she's been a vessel for a very long time, if not her entire life. It took some conversations, you know, to get there. I do have a question though, of something that I wasn't completely sure on. Um, when you see Charlie, you know, when she's sitting there and she's drawing her pictures and she sees that little light kind of go past her. You know, she like follows that light. And then Peter saw that light right before he started to look like Charlie in the classroom. What was that supposed to be? Because I thought yeah, that, that was maybe Piedmon's spirit or something. But if it was already in Charlie, why was she seeing that? I, I actually know the answer to this, too. Oh, you do? Was it your next question? Because sorry if I jumped ahead. <laughs> no, I was done with the whole question part. So a lot of that stuff, when you're seeing those reflections and stuff like that, that does kind of go back to what we were saying earlier with that cult. Like they know Pyman is in Charlie. Like once the, the grandmother dies, they know Pyman is in Charlie. So essentially what that is is, and they know he's unhappy in Charlie's body. So essentially that first scene, when that happens, when she starts kind of like wandering off into that field, mm-hmm. it's essentially the cult was trying to figure out a way to kill Charlie. Mm to release Pyman so they could like put him into a a better vessel. That's also why you see that with in that scene when Charlie's at school and you see that lady uh, across the street from her. Yeah. She was pushing for her to come close. Yeah. To get, 
across the traffic. Yes, on the lure and the traffic. That's what she was doing. Okay. Yeah. Which also goes to prove, to more or less disprove something that you guys were talking about earlier, that if Paimon is in this body and they're trying to lure Paimon to its death, that means that Paimon isn't necessarily the one pulling the strings with getting Charlie's head knocked off. Because then that would say that they are actually going from one scene to the next. Like, all of a sudden, Paimon is incredibly self-aware and creates this devious plan with this pole that he's already magically put his symbol on and and done. Like, that's the other big flaw in that logic with it all. Is like, that's the whole point. Because then later, when they're trying to, like you said, break down Peter's character, they're doing that same reflection scene to get him to go to things that he know they know will break him down more. Okay. It's like that whole, like, magic luring glamour. type it's of thing. It's a glamour, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, because, like, what we were saying, though, with all this, like, Hyman's character is first mentioned in the Lesser Keys of Solomon, which, in from the, and sorry if I fuck this up, I'm not, a, you know, a demonologist, the, like, Ars Gotia, which was written in 1570. So, it still is a very uh, obscure section of of demonology like with everything like i mean maybe if you're a hardcore devote like catholic like maybe like you're a franciscan monk you might know this stuff but like it's not relatable enough to where it was good enough to focus on hymen being the villain i honestly i think if they simplified it and just made the villain the devil things actually would have worked a little bit better because there's so much relatability to the devil that it doesn't end up feeling obscure at the end. Like I would, I would even accept it more if it was just some random Babylonian demon. And they just say that. Cause I'd be like, Oh, it's a Babylonian demon. I've seen that in movies. At least like everything about the ending, just, it feels like they were trying to do the devil without just saying the devil. So it was, it was like they were just being contrarian to be contrarian at the end, which to me makes it more convoluted and unnecessary with everything. Well, I think that, I mean, I think I was reading something or maybe saw an interview and I think they were just trying to be different. I think they said they went with Piedmont because they just didn't want to do the Satan. devil because everybody does the Satan. devil. So I, I want to say that was the reason. Like they just wanted to do something different because Satan Which is, is fine. just done all the time. So, I, I, which I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that was, if anything, I'm saying you're right. They were just trying to be different. Yeah. I'm different. They, Yo, I'm different. I'm different. But, uh, but I'm saying, like, if you're going to do that, then actually go obscure. Don't go, oh, instead of Satan, Satan's, you know, best friend. Like, come on. Like, that's still a little cheap then. Like, if you're going to be obscure and you want to be different, then go be different. Go choose some, like, Mesopotamian god like they did in fucking Ghostbusters that, like, nobody knows or something. You know what I mean? Like, do that then. Because, like, if you watch the original Ghostbusters, they could have done the devil at the end instead of Zool. But they didn't. They chose, like, Mesopotamian and Babylonian gods instead because they wanted to be something different. Then do that. Like, I'm just saying, like, don't do... Something that's every bit Satan, but just not actually Satan in name. Yeah. And it might have also been, I mean, and I'm just trying to interpret it, but, um, and just playing a little devil's advocate, because this is kind of fun. But like, uh, 
I also think that I think they went with a different demon or a different type of demon or a different name because because I mean essentially I, I I don't think this is as much about the demon being the villain more than it is just about really something that the grandmother started. I mean, let's not forget that the film, the name of the film is hereditary. Like this is a metaphor for something that is passed down that starts in your family. And no matter how you try to avoid it, no matter how much you try to fight it, even subconsciously, which was Tony Collette's character, sometimes those dark things in your family are like supernatural forces that just catch up with you and you wind up succumbing to things that happen in your family. The villain, in a sense, is not really the demon more than it is what the grandmother started. It was what she started. She doomed this family. It had a history of tragedy and all of these horrible things happening to them, and they were just destined to fall into that because of something that was started that they were all innocent of something that was started long ago so that's the to me that's the that's the message that's the metaphor that's the villain so to speak yes piedmont was trying to get into a body but this was more about something that the grandmother brought into this family and that no one could escape it was more about that to me than it was about what name we choose for the demon, if that makes sense. Okay. So like, kind of like, it's like a, a veiled allegory for like mental illness or something like that. Yeah. Mental illness or al- cancer, alcoholism, all of that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just, yeah. Like a hereditary thing with a lot of it though. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, and, and I, I get a lot of that, but like, that was also like another big problem. And this will be the last problem I talk about right away. I mean, I've got one other little one and I'll just kind of end on that. And then, you know, we can go to the, the other part. One thing I did not like that this movie did also is kind of the antiquated way that it kind of played on the themes of mental illness with a lot of this stuff, because one thing that mental illness in general had to overcome was a lot of the antiquated ways that it was looked at. Like, you know, schizophrenia used to be looked at as demons possessing somebody's body and all kinds of things like that. And so when you take this movie and they have, they're like, oh, the brother was schizophrenic. And then you come to find out, no, no, it was demons being forced into his body. It's kind of the same thing. It's, it's a real poor way of looking at it. And, you know, like, so whenever they're dealing with grief and the way that the brother was handling it, it wasn't that it was just grief. It was also demons affecting the grief. And it's just like I said, it's it's a big problem, I think, nowadays, especially with mental health awareness and things like that in the uphill battle people with mental health issues have had to fight that you've kind of got this movie that kind of then played back into it all in a way that that felt cheap. Like it wasn't like they did it in a way that in the end, you're like, okay, I see why they did that. It felt cheap. It felt like just a quick way to like just write something off like, oh, suicidal brother was schizophrenic. And it was like, oh, yeah, just like, you know, if these, they said the same thing in 1880, like, oh, the brother hung himself because demons were in him. It's the same thing. And it's just it, it does feel cheap with that for me. I mean, we don't really have to say on that because that is a little nitpicky on my side. I just thought 
that it was something in this movie that it really stood out with me and kind of hung in the air with me as I'm watching this movie, especially with the mental state of the brother as it as it continued on. Uh, it, it really just kind of it, like that's something that just kind of stuck with me in that movie that, like I said, if it's me being nitpicky, that's fine. If anybody else noticed that, too, and was bothered by it, that's cool, too. It's just something I noticed with it. And the other thing, like I said, the one last little thing I wanted to break. Well, I guess two. Did anybody else notice that the brother, when he was crying at the end of the seance, sounded like the worst crying in the world for a kid that was actually. <laughs> I noticed dad? that. Yeah. Because he was so solid the whole way through. And then I was like, what is that crying? <laughs> well, maybe. Oh, like. Yes, it's, it's, it's at yeah. the end of the seance scene oh, when yeah. it was like that. And he yeah. just goes, he goes onto his dad's shoulder, and he goes, <laughs> like that is the worst thing in the fucking world. And that kid was solid throughout that movie. Why the fuck did that happen? And everybody that like witnessed it happen just went, good. No need for a second take on that one. <laughs> like for, for a movie that has such great acting, especially from that kid, the kid that played Peter was a phenomenal. For ninety nine point nine percent of the movie, and that just it, it it felt so incredibly wrong. No, it's true. It was really it. It kind of took you a little bit out of it because I was like, "Wait, what? What are you doing? Like, what is it's that?" Like if you had, if you like, if you asked the character of Data on Star Trek to mimic a person laughing, like it sounds like a robot laughing. Like if you went, "Hey Siri, <laughs> uh, give me the sound of somebody crying," that would be the noise it would do. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty bad. Well, I want to end on a note about something movie that I liked. And since we're talking about um, the guy who played Peter, uh, Peter, Mr. Wolf, uh, that whole car scene, what, oh my goodness, was just, oh man, such incredible acting in that scene. That scene, and you know he doesn't want to look in the rearview mirror. He knows exactly what happened, and he just just keeps driving and just goes and lays down and goes to bed like everything's fine. Wow! And and the, you know and that's a writing thing too. You know that's that's a strong script right there. Somebody who just is in such complete shock at what just happened. Um, you know, especially especially in the mind of yeah. a teenager. I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to get high. I'm finally going to kiss the pretty girl. Ended up, my sister got decapitated. That is, wow. And the devastation and the denial and and I, mm-hmm. all of it was just, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. No, no joke. Like, it's like, in a sense, it's kind of iconic in the sense of how disturbing it is. Like, it's just not a scene that you are going to forget no. if you've seen this movie. It's it's so fantastic it's so well done when you see charlie's head at the end of it you see when they pan in on it that's something that just sticks that sticks that's a horrifying image that whole thing was just so well done i'll agree with you on that Devin. because to me like probably to me in that that scene right there was probably the most well-crafted scene in that entire movie like like you said from a script level all the way up to like the acting and the way they shot it and everything about it. Like that scene was probably the most fully realized scene in everything. Like, you know, like the emotional performances that Tony Collette gives, I feel like a lot of that was her as an actor bringing that to the role. Whereas like with the way that scene is done, 
I like it felt like they even scripted yeah. that performance into it. And don't get me wrong, even like that the kid that plays Peter did an amazing job of actually doing that too. Because it really is, like I said, just so incredibly well done. Like with like as I mentioned that in my likes, that shot angle with when it happens and you just see his brake lights in his rear view mirror and you're just seeing yeah. it like his eye. And you see kind of like that little tear roll down his face and he's just staring straight the entire time. And then the mm. brake lights the brake lights go away mm. and he just starts going forward again. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It is one of the best scenes I've ever seen done in a movie. And I think that's why I feel so cheated by this movie because like I said, it had so many good things in it that to feel like I'm cheated by the story like I did in the end and the the way they narratively told it was flawed to me because ultimately that's what a movie is, is visually telling a story. And I feel like they told part of the story and they didn't get it. Like there is supposedly a three hours director's cut of this movie because if for it being two hours and 15 minutes, it felt like a four hour movie. And apparently there's a three hour <laughs> cut of this. I actually do want to see that though. I want to see if in a three hour cut, if it actually gives me those story elements I want to see in it. Yeah, I would I would watch the three hour cut of that movie. Yeah, I would too. And I do want to say though, like just because I mean, Tony Collette, obviously, as we've mentioned several times, is just her she's so so good all the time. Consistent throughout. And Peter, I think, or Alex Wolf, he um I think that his scenes though were more memorable in a sense, or most of his scenes were like, even in the classroom, that scene when he's in the classroom and he's just like being taken over by this force and like you completely, he's freaking out, you know, but then you see, you know, Piedman sort of taking over his body or whatever it was that was happening in that scene. It was so, it was completely just like, chilling to see it so i think that his scenes as a whole were just more memorable scenes because of how well he did them but um you know but obviously tony collette's character annie she you know like jason had said earlier you know when she's in the the group meeting and she's discussing her whole family history and the scene when she's like finds out that um, Charlie's dead and she's just on the floor face down crying. Those are so beautifully done as well. But I think we expect awesome performances from her and Alex Wolf is fairly new, you know, and he's a young kid. So to see that kind of performance from somebody like that was just really, really good. Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with just about all of that. And I mean, like you got, and I think that that's why the film is so polarizing because you can really understand how a critic could have walked into this and loved it because just for the things that you're talking about, the performances, some of the stuff, like, and just, um, even just some of the, the shots that we talked about earlier. Another great shot was after the dinner table scene where Tony Collette had her breakdown and was talking to Peter and everything. And then I love how the camera just stayed at the dinner table. And it was just Steve and Peter sitting at the table in silence. And there was just that hanging shot. And it just, the camera didn't go anywhere. And it was just them sitting there. 
just in all of that guilt, all of that grief, all of everything that had happened with Charlie. And that was just another great shot. Like it was just, it didn't go anywhere. It just let you absorb that with the character. So, I mean, th that's why I can understand why a person who has that film eye will go into this and be like, man, that was just such, that was just such awesome stuff. That was just such great stuff, you know? And like you said, that scene with uh, Peter in the classroom, which I think was Piedmont foreshadowing that he was going to become Peter, which was kind of what that was. That's why when he looked in the reflection, he smiled. It was Piedmont letting him know, I'm going to be you here in a minute, which Piedmont oh, that was did, so chilling. Yeah. yeah. Which Piedmont does a lot of foreshadowing. You know, he cut the bird's head when he was Charlie to let you kind of know because he likes the beheading and all that stuff. So, you know, there was a, just a lot of neat stuff in there like that, man, that I can totally see somebody appreciating it. But to y'all's points and to Sterling's points, there are some things that needed more exposition. There were some things that could have used more explanation. I do have a more of appreciation for it after a second view. And I wonder what you guys would think after a second viewing, because I enjoyed it more the second time through when I was actively looking for stuff and not expecting the exorcist, <laughs> which I do, which I do <laughs> feel, which I do feel is a knock against the movie, you know, but, uh, but, but I do get your points. There are things that needed. Um, it's not perfect. It's not the greatest horror movie. I mean, I, I dare I say that, you know, Quiet Place, I still feel is a little superior to this, but there's a lot of great stuff here. It's definitely worth seeing. So, though, I will say with this, though, that the um, the fact that there's so many different opinions as to what something meant or how something was like, I think that the movie is it's very smart in how it does that because I mean, maybe that was what they wanted. They wanted to be like, well, what do you see here? What do you think is happening? And maybe that's why they didn't want to make it like more obvious on certain things. But I think that the fact that it's going to be talked about for a long time, probably. And I think it's, it's because of these elements of like, we want to figure out what's happening because it wasn't clear, you know? So it was like, it was a very risky move, but, um, I think that, I mean, it did its job in the sense of people are definitely going to remember this movie and they're going to be talking about it. All right. So we're, we are getting close to this. So let's go ahead and like do our, uh, your score. And what would you like, would you recommend people watching it? Okay. So as far as my score, I'm going to stay with what I originally gave the film. When I walked out of the film, I thought it was about an 88 and after watching it a second time, I I appreciated it more, but I still feel that way. I do feel like there were some story elements that needed more explanation. There are some things that are vague in the story, but overall, this was, for me, very entertaining. I'm a drama type of person. I love drama. I love people going through hard situations. I love people put in situations that they can't get out of. And I love strong messages in movies. And I feel like this film has all of that in spades. There's excellent active performances. There's a real message here that is relatable and that people go through when it comes to their family history 
and and it almost feels like there are things in your family you can't escape. This film, I think, gets that message across. So for me, it's not quite an A because of the story elements that I wanted more of, but it is a damn good movie. It's good, man. You got to go see this. I would definitely recommend you see it, try it out for yourself, and develop your own opinion about it. Don't skip it. You got to go see it. I mean, yeah, Justin said a lot of um, kind of how I feel about it. But um, my my overall score, I actually would say probably more around a 75. Um, just because, you know, I, I did leave it more confused than, you know, having that resolved feeling about everything that happened in the movie. Um, maybe after a second watch, it would be a different opinion on that. But um, from a first viewing, I would say 75 for that. Um yeah, maybe the longer cut of it might be a good idea because, like, you know, in that time frame, they would hopefully give, you know, the full story of what's actually happening there. But um, I recommend it if you if you want a thriller. I mean, I still find it a thriller in a sense, in my opinion. Um, so if you like to actually think about the suspense and what's happening in the movie i recommend it but if you just want like a i don't have to pay attention just want to see people die type of thing then this is probably not the movie for you but it is a good um i guess thinking psychological film okay so i'm gonna give this movie 80 for acting uh cinematography and the thematic elements um I would recommend that people go see this movie. Actually, after I saw this movie, I wasn't really sure um, if I would recommend this movie to actually uh, anybody because I do feel that this is a a critics movie. But I think this is an interesting study and a good way to push yourself in your taste of horror films. Um, If you always watch slashers or your run of the mill possession movie or your ghost story or your torture porn, I think this one kind of shows you where horror can be elevated. Um, and to me, horror is very subjective. So I always say, you know, it's a, if I'm giving this an 80%, um, to me, from a horror movie, that's an A, you know, because the horror genre in a whole is just pumped full of just, just tons and tons of tons of excrement every single year. So when you get one, you know, <laughs> yep. we are, we are so fortunate, man, <laughs> within these past five years, I mean, um, to get so many good horror films. So uh, here's what I'll tell you. If, if you're used to watching things like saw, or you used to watching the purge or, or whatever you're used to watching those movies, uh, do yourself a favor before you watch this, uh, watch movies like the Duke. It follows, um, uh, even like the witch. So you can see a character driven, well acted, um, not so commonplace, something that bends those rules before you watch this. So you can educate yourself just a little bit better on what horror can actually be. Then go watch this movie. Um, and, and remember, don't fall for those trailer tra- traps. If they start dropping movies like The Exorcist and Alien and all those stuff like that, those are just buzzwords to get your dollars. Because really, The Exorcist is The Exorcist, Alien is Alien, and so on and so forth. So please, don't fall for the hype. Go in and understand that this movie is trying to elevate a genre 
and trying to separate itself from those norms. And I think you will have a great time and you'll be able to suspend your disbelief and be, you know, captured by the horror elements of this masterfully acted, beautifully shot film. All right. So when I first watched this movie, I came out of the theater and to me, I would have given it at that time a 72 after reading what I read and, you know, having some of the holes filled in and things like that. I'm actually going to bump the score a little bit. I'm going to give it a 68 because why the fuck wasn't it in the movie? Put it in the movie. Don't sit there and then like do an interview afterwards and just say, oh, well, you didn't understand the ending because it's this. Fuck you. Put it in the movie. I would not watch this movie again unless I get a three hour cut. I'm not going to watch the same movie again. If I get a director's cut and there's more stuff to the movie, there's going to be more to add to it. I'll watch it then. Other than that, I might never watch this movie again. As far as recommending it goes, if you are, if you like to consider yourself a film buff and things like that, or, you know, you're like in the industry or, or want to be in the industry, watch it. If not, uh, I'd say wait till it's on HBO. And then even then, if you don't watch it, that's fine too. Um, because if you want to watch a good horror movie and that's really what you're in the mood for, do yourself a favor and watch The Witch. It's the same movie, but it's better. So that's where I stand on it. Um, I want to say thank you, everybody who uh, watches our podcast. Please make sure to go to cinemaslaves.com and read our reviews. Follow us on Facebook, our Instagram. And then we got some exciting stuff coming from you guys. If, you know, we actually start doing that before this podcast, then, you know, this is ill time. But whatever. Um, and um, thank you so much. Please share. Uh, be part of the conversation. Please comment on the podcast. Let us know what you think. Uh, all we want to do is get better for you guys. And um, uh, also, um, as far as horror movies this year, I, I think that um, A Quiet Place is just a wee bit better than this film. Like Devin said, go to cinemaslayers.com. Go to us on Facebook. At Twitter, we're at cinema underscore slayers. Instagram, we're cinema slayers. Check out our threadless shop uh, if you ever want any cinema slayers merch. And like he said, if you, if you agree with any of us or disagree with any of us or anything like that, let us know what you thought about this movie and everything like that. And I'm going to leave you guys with the question I want you to ponder until you hear from me next time. Is it really possible for a king of hell to be allergic to nuts? Mm-hmm.